we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. another exciting episode of gratuitous sex and violence the podcast where we explore if you're doing your part um will you join in the fight against sex and violence will you take up the arms of schlock and travel to the distant planets and defeat evil will you would you like to know more <laughs> this is a very good, very, very informative uh, foot that we're starting this this episode on today. I would I hope like so. It's, it's good. It's good to have purpose, to have clarity, um, and also the option to know more. That's always great because you never want to be misled down erroneous paths. Of course not. Why? Especially yeah. by your government. No, of course. You know, that's and, something and, we don't want. Yeah, that's a thing. And and but but you know we're fairly trusting of the systems of power. <laughs> Here what at this could possibly podcast. go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ned, um, you are actually um, hosting today. Yeah. So take it away. Yeah, I, I've been told that I'm hosting. So uh, <laughs> I guess I guess. Are it's you happening. ready, <laughs> uh, folks? Hold on to your seats. Uh, today we are going to be discussing Starship Troopers. Uh, the film came out in 1997. It's uh, directed by uh, Paul Verhoeven. Mm. Uh, it was written uh, by Ed Newmeyer, who uh, was also the screenwriter for RoboCop, which nice. Paul Verhoeven also directed, uh, and it's based on the novel of the same name by Robert A. Heinlein. Uh, the movie stars Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards, Dina Meyer, Jake Busey, Neil Patrick Harris, and Michael Ironside. And Starship Troopers is a satirical military science fiction action film in which humans in a fascist militaristic future wage war with giant alien bugs. Yeah, real tasty, real tasty. You know, I, I like them nice and crisp. You know, just like a little bit of that crisp before you, before you, ju- that before you crunch. chomp it. Yeah, you know, like a little crunch. You know, I'm just saying. I've been working hard. Uh, you know, slaying the enemy of the empire. So. Um, this movie is like one of my favorites. Oh, nice. Um, uh, I saw it back in like the high school days. I think I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. see it like right when it came out. Um, have you seen this movie before? I have seen this movie before. I've seen it. Um, a few times, but the last time that I saw it, I think, was back in college, to be honest. Yeah, okay. I don't so think it's, I've so seen it in a long, long time. Yeah. Cool. But I remember I remember liking it. Uh, we, we've actually watched a Paul Verhoeven sh- uh, movie on the show before, Showgirls. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked, when we were watching Showgirls, we talked about how all of Verhoeven's work seems to have, like, this satirical edge to it. Yeah, it really does. And and actually, this film, interestingly enough, was the next film that he right. did after Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also follows uh, Robocop's release, as well as Total Recall, I think, as well. Mm. So, like, by this point, he's already done, like, two different satirical science fiction right. films. So, right. So this is this is this is you know this is comfortable territory mm-hmm. for Mr. Verhoeven to be sure. Um, so uh, one of the things that I am actually looking forward to discussing about this movie is uh, is um, its uh, its satirical nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
especially because it was a movie that uh, did not get great critical reception right. at the time that it came out. And right. uh, a fair amount of that critical reception seemed to kind of overlook uh, the film's more satirical qualities and seemed and to that, kind of come away with the impression that the film was like playing these values straight. So, And, um, and, and, and that also seems to be the case for a lot of Verhoeven's work, as yeah. we discovered last time. Yeah, definitely. Right. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to this. Uh, Orlando, yeah. are you ready to watch this movie? You know I am. Okay. Some blood, some splatter, some bugs getting zapped. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. No, this <laughs> this movie feels very on brand for us, I think. I think we're going to be right at home with this And if one. I remember correctly, there is a lot of gratuitous nudity as well. Uh, yeah, a fair bit, actually. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, a lot to discuss. Um, for those who are interested in following along, uh, the movie is available to stream on Netflix. If you have a Netflix subscription, uh, it is also available for purchase on all the usual suspects, uh, yeah, Apple TV and uh, uh, Amazon and whatnot. Uh, so you do have a few options to see it there. Um, so we are going to break to watch the film, and then we will be right back to discuss further with some trivia and some thoughts about all that sex and violence. Yay! Yay! All right, guys, we'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship, no emotion, just sex. And we are back! Yay! Yay! Yay indeed! We trooped some starships. We we really did. We trooped we trooped <laughs> those starships, but good. Uh, we gave those bugs what for? Yeah. Um. So Orlando, uh, what'd you think of the movie? Well, um, pretty much in line with how, what I felt, I think, like, the last time I saw I actually feel like um, I was a lot more gung-ho about it when I was younger for various reasons. None of them really has to do with, like, the thematic quality of the movie itself. I just think, like, back then it was all about seeing those guts and <laughs> and uh, the gratuitous nudity. I was like, yeah, co-ed showers and, you know, <laughs> being excited about that. But, um one thing that I was like really noticing this time around was, uh, you know, keeping an eye out for that satirical edge of it and how, like you pointed out, like the special effects are pretty good throughout, like the bug effects especially, but I, f- I feel like there is, and uh, it comes across as on purpose, there really does seem to have a rinky-dink production production design quality to it like it feels like Verhoeven like very purposefully wanted things to look cheap because it accentuates the camp element I think yeah I would agree with that um yeah I think there there is a definite camp style Mm -hmm. like throughout the entire film um that that definitely feels very purposeful Mm -hmm. and I think is very much in line with um with the satirical bent that the movie is right. taking. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, that it's one of the things that I kind of love about it mm-hmm. almost. Um, because I, I, I'm with you that like, even just watching it again, both like 
before this viewing and now mm-hmm. is that like is that like yeah there is still something in me that does get a little gung ho about it as right. I'm watching it because like it's the action is still satisfying to watch yeah, and, there's and action, uh, yeah. yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of blood there's a lot of guts mm-hmm. uh, a lot of really great you know space battle stuff so like uh, it, it it definitely like packs like a satisfying punch on just mm-hmm. like an action front. Um, but then at the same time, it's all wrapped, um, you know, very, very consistently in that kind of, you know, little more kitschy, a little more earnest, Mm -hmm. um, vibe. So, uh, so I really definitely, uh, so I'm definitely with you on that. I had some similar questions with this that, that I had when we did Showgirls though. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little more, but, um, it's, you know, whether or not the satire is successful. That's the big question, right? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's something I definitely want to. Right. And, and and it almost seems to me like the veil of satire over the whole thing does to me detract a little bit from it. Be just only because of what the theme is of the source material is. And I'm sure again, we'll talk about that more, but I feel like there's, there's like almost like a competing quality between what the story is trying to tell versus what Verhoeven is trying to do with the story. It almost seems like he's trying, it's like he's, you know, a a, a matador and he has the bull by the horns and he's trying to get it to do what he wants, but the bull wants to do its own thing. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. No, I think that's, that's a really, that's a really good observation. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely in thinking about the source material and, and like, a lot of people who are fans of the book and who maybe don't like the film as mm-hmm. much, the most common criticism is kind of just how completely different of an entity the two are. Right. That like there there aren't that there isn't that much in the way of similarities other than like character names right. and uh, just the fact that it's space marines fighting aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely something worth grappling with, especially because like the film is still I think recasting a lot of the themes that. Yeah. The novel covers, but are are coming at it from Verhoeven's own exactly. per- perspective. So like I'm, it's it's dealing with the exact same stuff, but it's it's just like shifting the angle on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, this is all definitely stuff that we are going to get into more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, like, since we've been doing this podcast, um, I know I've accrued a fair amount of bragging rights. You have. And, yeah. um, and, and so I'm really excited for today that we're Turn finally, about is for we're, play. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna finally <laughs> turn things around and, 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 and give you a shot at some bragging rights. So, now, to, now last time I did this was for Serenity, exactly. and I did pretty well on that quiz, though. You did? I yeah, missed you, one question, no, I missed two because I missed the bonus, but I missed one from the quiz proper. Yeah, 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 no. But so, I mean, so I'm excited for you to make this challenging for me. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how I do. Um, yeah. Cause, cause also I remember like one or two of my questions were like, what's the serial number on the thing? So, so I tried to avoid going too deep into mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to just grab the most cheap nitty gritty detail right. and yeah. whatever and turn that into a question. No so, problem. So I, I think, I think these, this is a fair quiz, but a challenging quiz. Okay. Um, I'm so just, so just as a reminder, uh, it's going to be five questions, uh, from the film, 
um, ranked, hopefully, uh, from least difficult to most difficult, mm-hmm. and then we'll also have a bonus question that will venture a little further from the realm of the film, but it's still, uh, you know, linked to it in some way. All right. Uh, so. Now lay it on me. You ready? Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> I'm a I little nervous. It. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> uh, question one. Okay. Where should you aim if you wish to put an arachnid down for good? Well, uh, if you shoot the legs, they're still going to be like around like 75 to 80% uh, you know, effective mm-hmm. or active. So you have to really aim for the nerve center. Perfect. Uh, yeah, the nerve stem. You got it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, one for one. Looking good. Uh, question number two. Okay. How long is a term of federal service? Two years. Two years? It's either one year or two years, but I think that they all said that they were in there for two years, so I'm gonna say two years. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna give you uh, I'm gonna give you partial credit. Okay. The full answer is not less than two years, potentially extended as deemed necessary by the oh. Federation. So, so you can you basically once you're in there, they've they've just got you. They can, a little bit, they can yeah. That's the vibe I get. Yeah, want. just from the vow that they get that they're like, no, less than two years, mm-hmm. but but to be extended as as needed by the federator or whatever. But, that and yet, like when they're, I, I don't know if there's like, uh, uh, I guess there's like a, a, a get out clause, which is actually in the the way that our military works. Our, I don't think our military works that way. Like once you sign up, you're pretty much signed up. Like you can't just leave during boot camp, I don't think. No, I I don't think during boot... No, I, I think, yeah, during that initial period, I think, like, not unless you, like, get some sort of medical right. exemption. Right, like, they can whatever. discharge you. Yeah. But, th- but in this movie, it makes it seem like you can quit during boot camp. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, like, yeah, in our own military, you're, you're basically locked yeah. in. Um, I, ha- I had a friend who, who like, was briefly signed up, but uh, before they before they even got to boot camp, um, they, I think, I don't know, they had a change of heart or something, and so uh, the they uh, there was something in, like, the, the medications they were taking for pre-existing conditions uh-huh. that they had, but um, that that allowed them to to have grounds to, mm. to sever their their engagement with uh, the service. Bone spurs me. <laughs> Funny enough, no, um, no, no, not like uh, that, not like that. It, it, it was it was a more legitimate uh, claim, I would say too. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, um, question number three: uh, Name three potential benefits of citizenship within the Federation. So they, t- they talk about this a little bit um, during the shower scene. So I'm just going to pick up from those that I heard. Okay. Uh, like, you, it makes it easier uh, for you to get a license to have a child. Um, you can also enter politics if you're a citizen. And the other one is that if you are interested in going to college, the, the government, the Federation will pay for it after you've served. Awesome, perfect. Uh, those are all three acceptable answers. Uh, I also had a fourth acceptable mm-hmm. answer, which is uh, that it gives you the right to vote. Ah, right. Yep. <laughs> that, that one's like done like really early on. Exactly. Yeah. Movie. That 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 one that one benefit was yeah separate from the shower scene. So uh, so yeah, you'd, you'd have to mine the shower scene for most of your knowledge, but also that that very that very basic uh, right. The that's... government, uh, the way that the government is structured, which we don't really get a lot of the Federation right. We only we only really see the military side of it. Yeah. But, yeah. But the hints that you get from how the Federation works has always kind of fascinated me. Um, because it's like, it's like a quasi, you know, it, it's not really a 
federal republic. It's like a totalitarian regime. It's like a, a, a some sort of, you know, yeah, they're definitely unitary state. Yeah, they're definitely authoritative. Right, very, some sort of yeah. fascism going on there. Yeah, and uh, and and yet, so they have like they call themselves a federation, but then they have like these rules where it's like, oh no, only only citizens can vote, you know? Yeah, and and, and yeah, and, and I was very fascinated by just like, yeah, the sort of the distinction that it's like, oh yeah, you can be a civilian, like right. you can you can live here and, and it's fine, mm-hmm. but like you, but you only enjoy certain rights within the society by being a citizen and by putting in service. And, and in this case, um, yeah, obviously the service is pretty much predominantly military. Right. It, it didn't it didn't look like there was any like non-military track, which is like interesting because I know people have talked about um the idea of like of the US having like some sort of a like national service requirement. The way that for like Israel does, or, for example. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. But like usually I think with with programs like that that already exist or that could potentially be adopted, mm-hmm. um it's not necessarily just military. Like right. you can also there are other there are other lines of work that you can do some to sort of satisfy. civil Service. Yeah, some sort of civil service. So, um, so that that's that's an in- it's interesting to kind of yeah to like present that idea, which which I don't know how I personally feel about that idea, but like, but I think like obviously the idea of of compulsory service in the military mm-hmm. is definitely a very. <laughs> I mean, a, a very irksome process. The way that they just like burn through those bodies, like it's no wonder that they need compulsory service. You know, a little bit, like if you yeah. if you want anything of value, then you have to do this. And but chances are really high that you're not going to come back. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of lame. I also like noticed I picked out like something that Rico's dad said at the beginning about how he'd rather take public lashings. So even like I feel like even even the the civil not the civilians but the citizens no wait the civilians right because yeah, it's yeah. civilians versus citizens like even though they're not conscripted into the military or part of that lifestyle it's it seems like they still get pretty harshly punished if they do wrong by the government yeah definitely and also like the fact that like executions are broadcast live um yeah it's one and 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 that's actually something that i wonder about rico's parents is like that question of like whether they are citizens or mm-hmm. not cuz like on the one hand like Rico comes from an affluent family right. clearly like they're wealthy um but and and yet his parents are very much like no like mm-hmm. don't go don't do federal service right. don't become a citizen so it's like they have the resources that like all of the additional rights that you get access to right. as a citizen maybe there's something in the fact that they have enough wealth that like they don't need to do that and 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 yeah, the, at least me. that's 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 the impression that i get but uh, that's something that that i always found very interesting about yeah, the world it is interesting that they do for it um question 4 uh oh, what what is the you're doing really good by the way you are you are really nailing it um so uh uh so we got like basically uh so, so currently we got like two and a half out of three questions so far. So we're, we're looking really good. Um, question four is, uh, what is the name of Carl Jenkins's ferret? Oh, um, it's on the tip of my tongue. Hold on. For some reason, I can only think of Nero, but it's not Nero. It's like some other like dumb ferret name. Um, you're, you're not that far from it. Right. I know. It's, not, it's something like, like that. 
It's not Nero. It's not Nimrod. It's uh, <laughs> it's something dumb like that, though. <laughs> oh my god! You know what? Want to want to pick the dumbest and just <laughs> see if it sticks. Dumber than Nero. <laughs> I'm going to give up here in a second, but I want to see if, if it'll pop into my yeah, brain. Yeah, I can yeah. Work, work that, yeah, work that process. I can work. picture him saying it. He's looking him in the eye. Mm-hmm. He's, He's like, go get mom, he says. Doogie says. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. I, I give up. I'm not going to. You give up? Okay. Uh, the name is Cyrano. Cyrano! Very close. De Bergerac. <laughs> very, very, very close. I kept wanting to say De Bergerac, De Bergerac, De Bergerac, but uh, that would have been way too, much. Too, way too much of a hint. All right. Um, and then uh, our final question. Um, and the final question has a little bonus okay. part to it. So if you get the second bonus part, and actually, if you get the second bonus part without getting the first part, I'll give you full credit for it. Oh, but okay. but you only need to you only really need to get the first part in order to get the full in order to get the credit. Okay. So, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> strike it too harshly for this one. <laughs> um, so uh, question five is uh, what is uh, Rico's team name in high school for their football team? Okay. Uh, and then the little sub bonus of it is what is his number on the team? Oh, I see. I the number. Definitely did not stick at all. But yeah. I know that they're the Buenos Aires Tigers. Fuck yeah. yeah. Got it. Fuck yeah. All right. So that's quest. So that's, uh, yeah. So that's like a 3.5 out of 5. Sweet. That's, that's so I like- got some bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. No, not like, the best. I, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice healthy sum. Um, so, uh, we damn have- you, ferret. We- damn you, ferret, indeed. Okay, cool. Now, here's our bonus question. Okay. All right. In the film, Drill Sergeant Zim requests a demotion to be able to p- deploy to the front lines Mm-mm. to fight in the war against the Arachnids. Later on, towards the end of the film, Watkins allows Rico, Ibanez, and Ace to escape by laying down suppressing fire against the brain bug and other Arachnids and de- detonating a nuke, sacrificing his life in the process. Both of these acts bear a striking resemblance to the acts of a World War II Medal of Honor recipient who had requested a demotion from Sergeant to be able to fight on the front line against the Japanese, and later on gave his life single-handedly bombarding a Japanese machine gun emplacement with grenades and rifle fire to facilitate his platoon's escape from an ambush. The question is, what is the name of this Medal of Honor recipient? And I do have a hint. Okay. I'll probably take the hint because I have no idea. I okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the, hint, the hint is that the name of this person is in the film. Oh, it's in the film. Like they mention him or is a character name similar to character name? The name is in the film. That's all I'm going to say. The name is in the film. Ticonderonga. I don't know. (laughs) It's actually not that bad of a guess. Um, uh, It is incorrect. Uh, The name is uh, Roger Wilton Young. Mm -hmm. Though the name Roger Young would be acceptable. The Roger Young is the name of the ship that Carmen Ibanez Uh, ends up assigned to. Nice. Okay. Great. So, yeah. See, I, I have no idea what the name of the ship was until you just said that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mentioned like a couple of times. Um. Uh, and and like I've seen this movie a lot, but like it was only just this final mm. time that I noticed. Like, oh wait, Car- uh, like Carmen says, oh Roger Young coming into dock, and uh, I was like, that's that's a that's an interesting name for a ship. And I the only that reason is. that Ticonderonga stuck to me is because I when I when I when they said the name, I was like, oh, that's like the pencil. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's interesting, yeah, the, the naming conventions. Um, yeah, one, the, the name of the station, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the station that they dock at, but it's... Ticonderonga. Like, oh, okay, yeah, perfect. Right. That is the name. Okay, yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's the uh, only reason why I remembered it is with a pencil. <laughs> Amazing. That's, I was like, wow, but but that's that would have been when she would when she would have said the the Robert Young is docking. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, right. I, it would it would have been close pr- close proximity. Name right. Case. So um, I, I completely missed the name of the ship. Yeah. That said, though, um, you got yourself some solid bragging rights. Yeah, bragging rights. I, yeah, Woo! I absolutely feel good about that, and I think you should do. So, uh, it, uh, as we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, um, this film had a, uh, uh, a not-so-positive uh, reaction uh, critically when it first right. came out. Um, in spite of the fact that satire is kind of Paul Verhoeven's, uh, you know, calling card, um, especially in the realm of yeah. sci-fi, um, most of the uh, contemporaneous reviews at the time uh, really panned the film as being a fairly mindless and jingoistic uh, mm-hmm. blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the uh, notable quotes from reviews of the time uh, at the time include uh, Janet Maslin's uh, review for the New York Times, where it was called a crazed and lurid spectacle. Uh, Jeff Weiss of Deseret News at the time called it a nonstop splatterfest so devoid of taste and logic that it even makes the most brainless summer blockbuster look intelligent. <laughs> um, Roger Ebert, uh, in his review uh, uh, at the Chicago Sun Times, uh, also called the film shallow and that it oriented towards team teenage male science fiction fans um but he did at least uh you know call out that the film had some sly satire uh, in terms of its visual style mm-hmm. and whatnot um but the film has definitely had a, a resurgence in opinion right um so uh it's it, it's it's curious to me like why it is that like the film didn't necessarily kind of get the recognition at the time it came out for, you know, clearly, like, for for the fact that, like, people seem to think that the film seemed to be this, like, open-armed embrace mm-hmm. of, like, fascist ideals and of, like, this sort of xenophobic, like, approach to space warfare. Right. Um, well, I yeah. think, I think like, like I kind of talked about um, earlier, I think that the problem is the push and pull between the the creative forces behind the movie because i really feel that the story at just at face value the story is very gung-ho about um its jingoism and its patriotism and the fascist ideals and i feel like uh what was it robert heinlein right uh yeah robert heinlein's views which were very earnestly right-wing fascist views like yeah. Like that's that forms the basis. That's the structure of the story, right? And yeah. the the satire doesn't come from the story at all. It all comes from stylistic choices that Verhoeven made in how to tell the story. And so I I really think that 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 veil does kind of hinder the story a little bit even yeah. if even if we're talking about, you know, making it a more earnest, you know, pro-war, pro-jingoism story, like, it, it, it hurts it from that aspect, but also hurts the satire of it because I don't think that the story supports the satire. 
Yeah. I feel like it's all just the style, like, is supposed to make us feel, oh, so he's not actually promoting these views, but the story doesn't really help that at all. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Um, yeah, so so some of the themes that uh, came up in uh, the original novel, and actually um, an interesting thing to note is that um, Paul Verhoeven, he started to read the novel to mm-hmm. prepare for the film, uh, but he actually gave up after a couple chapters and just couldn't because okay. it was so right-wing and also very boring. To right. <laughs> um, so uh, the play, uh, the sorry, the, not the playwright, the screenwriter mm-hmm. uh, Ed Newmeyer um, had read the book and mm-hmm. was a fan of it when he was younger okay and uh so he um so so paul verhoven asked ed newmeyer to basically just summarize the book for him <laughs> uh before they started shooting that might be part of the problem too is like how do you satirize something that you don't understand yeah you know like if if you want to satire something you have to be cognizant of it you have to be aware of all the nooks and crannies of it because then what are what is the satire satire is satire is not it is not a genre, it's a filter, right? Yeah. So how do you how do you put a filter, how do you put sunglasses over your eyes if you're already blind to begin with, you know? And I mean I know that's a kind of a simplistic way of looking at it, but you know what I'm like how do you how do you tint the the world that you're looking at if you don't really understand what you're looking at? Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Um uh, and one and uh, it was interesting because um, uh, Michael Ironside had actually sort of uh, questioned Verhoeven about this. Um, uh, Verhoeven actually had grown up in the Netherlands when it was uh, being occupied by the okay. Nazis. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, Ironside uh, during an, uh, uh, mentioned uh, during an interview that uh, he had asked Verhoeven, "Why are you doing this like right wing <laughs> fascist movie <laughs> right. to begin with? Why are you attacking this?" Yeah. Michael Ironside knew the book pretty well. Um, and uh, so Verhoeven's reply was, uh, if I could tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me. So I'm going to paint a, or I'm going to make a perfect fascist world. Everyone is beautiful. Everything is shiny. Everything has big guns and fancy ships, but it's only good for killing fucking bugs. Mm. <laughs> and, and for costing lives, too. I mean, I think that yeah, that's, the- that's really the, the part of the message that Verhoeven... Uh, brings to the table that resonates with me. Yeah, how disposable the how disposable are. humans are in this yeah. in this world. Well, and actually, uh, I think one of my favorite um, things that kind of highlights this is um, is uh, the the science class at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the film, where the science teacher is talking about how Rue McClanahan. He, he, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and and she's talking about how uh, the you know how humans think they're hot shit, but, um, you know, these, the, the species of bugs that she's talking about, they're, you know, they're completely mindless. Mm -hmm. They have no, they have no concept of death. Uh, they're hard workers. Um, they are basically like the perfect selfless contributor to society, which like, obviously at this point in the society, since they've done away with democracy as a whole and, um, and, and have this new stratified society with these citizenship requirements, it's like, well, that they're, they're basically all already kind of fostering that yeah the the mirror between the two sides uh, uh, is is pretty effective because like even the way that the bugs are structured i feel like the 
the the human side is structured pretty much the same way like you have yeah. your disposable arachnids you have your brain bugs like you have like the 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 uh the the military intelligence people or the yeah. brain bugs of the of the human race yeah that's well, pretty similar yeah definitely I, I i do think one of the things that i appreciate about the film is that by framing the film around the uh the communications apparatus of the Federation, the film is cluing the audience in that, um, that like there's an unreliable narrator at play. It's propaganda. And, and it is the propaganda. And, and, and my read on the film personally is that I definitely feel like the film as a whole is meant to be that piece of propaganda that basically like the whole story in it is in its own way, uh, a portrayal of, like the kind of story that would be told in this federation to try to inspire people to join up. Um, uh, especially just like in, in the way Rico's character evolves. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the original book was a coming of age story. Right. That was like one of the, that was one of the aspects of it. Yeah. In, in addition to all the social commentary that, that Heinlein was putting mm-hmm. in the book about, like the benefits of a fascist society, but it was also very much like a coming of age story about Rico, which um, you get a little bit in here. Which, also. which, yeah, that's the thing is that like the film is still structured like a coming mm-hmm. of age story for him, very much so. Right. Except that, like, you know, you you really have to you really have to like you know scrape and scrimp through the film just to like find a single original thought that Rico has Mm -hmm. like almost everything that he comes to say in the film is regurgitated to him by somebody else more often than not one of the authority figures right uh, even at the end when he assumes when he becomes an officer his first thing is to (laughs) to give the exact same speech that uh Rockcheck had said to him yeah uh, to the to the new to the new recruits or not the new recruits but the new the newcomers yeah. you know the newbies and and yeah it's like uh, yeah but that that is what that is what the machine behind authoritarianism is yeah like even even like in America I feel like that's what I get from from the right wing side of politics is not a lot of original thinking just a bunch of regurgitation like someone says something dumb. And it doesn't matter how, you know, what fact you present to, to, you know, discredit it. Once that piece of information is out there, it just keeps cycled and cycled and cycled until millions of people believe it. Yeah. And I feel like that, you know, that's, that's very much a, how fascist propaganda works or how propaganda works, period. You know, it's not, it has nothing to do with critical thinking. It has nothing to do with, with facts. Um, It's all about appealing to your emotional state by giving you a nice catchphrase that makes you feel good at the end of the day. And if you feel good, then it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter that a hundred thousand people died in one hour, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's like, so like Rico and and the speech before him, you know, it says like, if you're not here to fight, I'll kill you myself. (laughs) But the truth of it is that no one's there to fight. They're there to die. Yeah. You know, but that piece of information is 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 conveniently left off. <laughs> it's yeah. all about just how do you how do we make you feel good? You yeah. Know? 
Yeah. And again, it's like, and, and it's like, by the time you get to the end of the film, like, just with, like, watching, like, oh, they made it through, mm-hmm. everything's fine. The film totally delivers on, like, a pretty much completely happy ending yeah. for its characters. For the three main, yeah. Um, for the three main characters. And, and, and it kind of ends on this huge upbeat note. And, and so I found myself, like, being like, ooh, yeah, this is so fucking hype. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. No, like I'm, right. I'm kind of succumbing to the propaganda machine myself by getting by just just like the tools of narrative and delivering mm-hmm. a satisfying narrative can be wielded against the populace into I, yeah, I f- indoctrinating. And if I actually not feel I, f- I kind of feel from watching the movie that if they had toned down the veil of satire a little bit and maybe given me a little more of an earnest attempt to actually tell the story and actually give, you know, tell it in a more sweeping romantic, like space operatic kind of way and put some more of that emotion behind it. I actually feel like maybe it would have done a better job of being a, um, a cautionary tale against fascism. Yeah. I feel like, the like i like i keep saying like this is the only phrase that i can think of to describe it that veil of artificiality of satire that paul verhoeven put on it it hurts the overall his overall intent of it yeah it doesn't come across as successfully as it could have been you know i feel like if if you were giving me a story that was about a fascist regime and the effect on these people's lives an earnest you know, story, hmm. then I feel like I would have been more compelled to be like, yeah, that that society is terrible. But because it's framed as a satire, at the end of the movie, you do feel like, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, I get it, you know? <laughs> but that's kind of like the wrong message yeah. that you want to take away from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we've definitely talked a bit about, like, um, you know, how it's trying to portray this fascist society and it really doesn't try to hide like right. its influences at all um obviously we see that almost all of the different uniforms that the characters wear are inspired by world war ii era german military uniforms um the most i think striking um example of this would be uh the uniform that neil patrick harris is wearing right. towards yeah. the end Carl. of the film which mm-hmm. very much looks like an ss officer yeah. uniform Absolutely. Um, uh, in addition, um, during the uh, during the little propaganda snippets, um, there are like direct visual allusions both to the American propaganda film "Why We Fight" mm. as well as the German propaganda film "Triumph of the Will." Right. It's very, very obvious. I saw, I was like, oh, that's a lot of Renny, uh, Len- Lenny Re- Riefenstahl in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and also, uh, even the uh, the eagle insignia of mm-hmm. the uh, of the Federation bears very strong resemblance right. to the imperial eagle of the German government at that time. Um, another uh, influence that Verhoeven uh, described uh, or uh, discussed uh, uh, when talking about this film were actually the sort uh, Sort of creature feature films of the 1950s. Um, he specifically definitely talk- got a lot of that. Yeah, uh, he specifically talked about the film Them and the film mm-hmm. The Deadly Mantis uh, when discussing this film. And uh, he talked about how those films express the fear about the nuclear threat at the time mm-hmm. and the feelings of helplessness and despair that it caused. And one of the things that he talked about with the film Starship Troopers, uh, which again um, coming out in 1997, this was post Cold War United States right. um, and also pre 9 11 mm-hmm. United States. So, very much like um, 
uh, a period of time that could be seen as like a height of American global power, you could mm-hmm, say, right. um, and and relative stability in the country. And uh, so he talked about how Starship Troopers was telling a story about a society that has no more enemies mm. and about how important it is for a society that sort of marshals that much authority to have an enemy for its populace to motivate it to continue its service. Yeah, yeah, I could I could totally get that feeling from it. And then stylistically yeah. what you're saying about the influence with the the 1950s creature films, I actually do uh, feel like, for example, that this movie would would make a really good double feature with another mid-90s film that that took influence from 50s creature films, which is Mars Attacks um, by Tim Burton. I feel actually that that satire from Mars Attacks is you know a little more successful than this one in in my brain, Hmm. But, but they're both going for that same kind of like feel of like, this is our take on on these 1950s like alien invasion films or alien versus human films. Yeah. Um, Cause there, there's a lot in the style aspect that that's very similar between those two films. I feel except like that, that, that this one doesn't go as far cartoony as Mars attacks does. Yeah. You know, what's actually kind of interesting that you mentioned Mars attacks because like the film that I always think about in conjunction with starship troopers is uh, independence day mm. actually, which came out like, same time, also like a mid nineties, yeah, like yeah, like a, like a year earlier, I think, yeah. I think. Um, and um, or ninety six, right? Because this was 97. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, July four ninety six. Yeah. So this would have been like a year and a half after. Mm-hmm. But like I was, but like I remembered like seeing ads for Starship Troopers, and like I was, you know, fucking hype as hell about. Uh, Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Independence Day was like my favorite movie for a very significant portion <laughs> of my life, I would say. Um, and um, and and I was really pumped for Starship Troopers and was so upset that it was rated R and therefore uh. couldn't go see it. Um, and and uh, and actually, Lindsay Ellis, um, uh, a, a YouTube uh, video essayist and writer uh, who, whose work I really admire, um, she has this great video. Um, we'll we'll throw up the links to it in the. Sure. Uh, in in the discussion um she talks about uh she she has this great video where she compares independence day with uh the film uh war of the worlds by Mm, steven spielberg and she specifically talks about um the uh the sort of how those films mirror the cultures of their time, yeah. specifically through the lens of Independence Day as this film that took place before 9-11 mm-hmm. um, versus uh, War of the Worlds, which was very much a post 9-11 film yeah. in terms of how it how it portrayed just like the bleakness and the hopelessness and the moral ambiguity. Of, see, of, see of, those of two an, movies uh, would be a perfect double yeah, feature. <laughs> exactly. And, and because they're both. And, because they both approach the material earnestly. Yeah. And I feel like if, if this movie had done that, because I, I feel like, it, you know, I, I personally feel like, I don't, I don't remember what Lindsay thinks about it, but I, my, me, my personal take is that War of the Worlds is the better movie of the two. And, yeah. and, 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 and I feel like even though it is an earnest, you know, sci-fi thriller, you still get the sense that there's something not quite right with like the way this this version of the world is run. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I'm that I'm talking about when it comes to this movie. Yeah. Is like if this movie had gone a little more earnestly and darker with its source material the way that War of the Worlds does, then I feel like it would have it would have served the thematic uh, 
just like his intent, Verhoeven's intent behind it would have been served better. I yeah. feel personally. Yeah, definitely. I, I hear that. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely hear that. Um, so uh, we are going to launch into the first of our GSV segments. The name of this section is Shots, 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 Shots. We are talking about the gratuitous violence present oh in this film. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, uh, there is a lot. Um, uh, From the first time I saw that, I mean, like I, like I said, like that was when I first watched it. I was like, yeah, fucking violence, yeah, bug death. When, and they and they and they're right out of the gate with it because they, yeah. you know, they do the whole like framing device of like starting in the middle of a battle before going back mm-hmm. in time. So we we get to see the carnage right, right away. Right. Um, so uh, I I tried to. Um, I tried to find like a dependable body count for okay. this movie. Uh-huh. Um, my sources have varied. Um, oh. do, do you want to take a stab at how many? I'm going to say there's a lot of extraneous death in this movie. So, yeah. so I'm going it's to. It's a gory war film, you know? So like, I'm going to aim a little high and say. 200 and some change maybe like 208 somewhere around Interesting. there okay know. that's 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 pretty high um the the three numbers that i found did not quite go up to 200 okay. um one source uh counted human deaths at 95 oh. um another source counted the uh, counted the human deaths at 128 Mm. And then still another source, which for reasons as I was looking at it made me feel like it wasn't as dependable of a mm. source, did get the body count up into like the 190s, like the mid-190s oh, okay. or something so like around, that. Around so around So it might... Yeah. But you said that one wasn't dependable. But I feel like this is like but, a 200-ish kind of movie. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, yeah. I would have lost track. There's a lot of death. Yeah. There's so much. Um, yeah. And and again, who even... Because that's probably not even counting just like the people who die in the ships that get blown oh, up yeah. in orbit yeah, too. Yeah, we don't even see those though. Yeah, and, those the, and then on screen. Yeah, and then the only number I could find for on screen bug casualties mm. was uh, one twenty eight. Um, wow. And and that was part of the 128 count for humans as well. For some reason, the person was like, oh, yeah, humans and bugs, both 128 each. So two, oh. 56 together, something like that. Anyways, so. Yeah, um, weird. <laughs> but, and also that doesn't count like all the bugs that they just nuked because there's a countless bugs nuked like in this movie too. Yeah, that's yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, the, the miniature nuclear warheads thing, which, by the way, is... There is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, they, they've never been actually deployed in combat that we know of. But but is US- that what, what this actually is? I thought, or is that just like what they were calling it? Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I would, I would fully believe that those are literally like radiological nuclear weapons that the soldiers are using. They're not just like thermodynamic devices. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know too much about how nuclear bombs work. I don't know what thermodynamics are. Because a lot of radiation are. they're like letting off. You know? I mean, again, it's like, that's, uh, that sounds on brand for this federation. <laughs> like, I feel like, they, like, you know, they, they're going to get, they're going to get more people. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I don't think things bode well for Rico's right. Yeah, I want to know more about the... This is a little bit of a tangent, but I want to know more about the world, like the state of the world. Like, is, do they have a problem with overpopulation? Is that why they're sending so many people off to die? Like, what's going on? I don't know. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder. Well, and also because it's like... It, it seems like the... 
the again like this is this is like the planetary authority so yeah. it's like all of humanity is now seems to be united under this one right. you know government body mm-hmm. um and also by the way very interesting that um you know in argentina and in, in, in buenos aires argentina the high school there seems to be very full of very white kids and yeah. all that stuff too. We'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so there seems to be some sort of a, a, a general collective, I don't know, spread or a homogeneity of sorts. Um, right. I mean, there's 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 a, a a bit of diversity in in terms of uh, you know just who we see on screen. The ranks whole, are pretty diverse. But yeah. yeah, the ranks are pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, can't necessarily say the same about our core cast, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, I really enjoyed. Um, I always enjoy time with space marines. Any movie that like just kind of yeah. goes ham on the space, like marine. aliens, like aliens, yeah. for instance. Um, and and interestingly enough, um, a lot of uh, a lot of different people do point to the Starship Troopers novel as being one of the primary codifiers of the Space Marines trope. Right. Um, yep. uh, which which is pretty cool. Um, and then obviously I think, you know, the the kind of the, the more visual signifiers that we have of them in this film are definitely, I think, more heavily borrowed from movies like Aliens. Right. Like, I think Aliens probably was, like, the biggest sort of source of, like, how that trope plays when out When did the novel cinema. come out? Because I'm pretty sure that the novel even had some influence on... On how the warfare was carried out in Aliens, uh, I think yeah. it came out before. Uh, yeah, the novel came out. I think it was like circa World War. Yeah, it was like the fifties, right? Yeah, um, it uh, was published in December of fifty-nine. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing so. about about Starship Troopers. The novel is, I mean, it won a bunch of awards. It's a very well crafted story. It's just that it's thematically problematic yeah very deeply <laughs> problematic but what and, and 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 the same can definitely be said of robert heinlein's like career right like um like especially just because like his own views seem to have changed yeah from like early to late career yeah and, and he he delves into a lot of very interesting things uh trust me y'all should definitely just look up the author on wikipedia like he he explores a lot of shit in his novels yeah buy his book support his estate no i'm just kidding <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I would not go that far. <laughs> get it, get it, get it. Um, uh, what were some of your favorite deaths in the movie? Well, okay, so uh, the a whole thing, I know this is like near the end of the movie, but like the, the, the dude getting his brain sucked out by the brain bug yeah. and his face like sollowing out, <laughs> yeah. um, that's always been pretty gnarly to me. The My favorite like bug on human deaths, though, and during battle are definitely when we introduce those flying bugs. They just, like, slice off people's heads off and shit. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. I mean, those bugs, like like I mentioned to you, like, evolution's been kind to those bugs. Yeah, I imagine, like, those 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 bugs are going to be around for a while. I wonder uh, if they have any relation to, like, the Edgar bug from Men in Black. The <laughs> same universe. That is a question. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe with enough time and uh, research, they could, uh, you know, get some nice homegrown human suits right. going. Um, uh, interestingly enough, um, during the uh, during the battle at the Whiskey Outpost base, uh, where we see those flying mm-hmm. bug, bugs, um, the film uh, was actually in danger of being rated NC-17 mm. 
mm. during this sequence. Um, in order uh, that's to- another common Berhoven problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, flirting, <laughs> flirting with that NC seventeen. Um, and uh, it, it is interesting in this case that that it was a that it was a case of almost getting an NC seventeen for too much violence mm. because normally that's not the case. Right. Um, uh, but uh, in order to avoid the NC seventeen rating, uh, they did have to cut four seconds away from one of the geta- uh, decapitations uh, yeah. that we see um, in order to. I see. Make it a little more palatable Man. for the R-rated audience. <laughs> Crazy, um, yeah. Uh, I think um, I, yeah. So many, so many limbs. Um, so many just people just get like yeah. they just you get you get caught in the bugs chomper and you're basically like, lives done. have no meaning pretty much. <laughs> I mean, like Dizzy's death. That's that's a very memorable death. Probably the most memorable death because yeah. like she's a character that I was. I'm, I'm really like in her corner. Throughout a lot of the of the of the movie, in fact, like this time around, like I I really just felt for her, um, and yeah, even even though she is a little like obsessed with Rico because, and she definitely deserves better than that, but I I feel like you know she has a really good head on her sh- on her shoulders generally. She uh, is gung ho and tough as nails, yeah. and. And she has the skills also. Like, she is yeah. a leader. And I feel like the the movie, and but specifically Rico's character, just continuously, like, discredits and shafts her and doesn't give her a time to shine. And then when we finally get, like, a little development between them, then she's, like, unceremoniously slaughtered by bugs, you know? And yeah. I'm like... And it's like, you know, she like Rico's calls out to her and warns her and her action is to stop and turn around when she really could have <laughs> kept running. I know. Yeah, that that drove me crazy both times we watched it, mm-hmm. that she was like running and then he calls out to her. So she stops and turns around. Yeah. I was like, no, you were there. <laughs> right. You were so there. Just keep running. Um, yeah, that that definitely uh, killed me as well. And it certainly killed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then that when they when they take off the claw and everyone knows. I hope everyone knows that if you're impaled with something, you keep it in. You don't tear it. You don't try to get it out because then you'll bleed out to death. <laughs> so they contributed to her death pretty much. Our lawyers would like us to remind the audience that we are not medical experts. We're not. You should, you should not. You should not necessarily defer to us. But generally, yes. Yeah. Yes. That that rule is definitely. Yeah. You generally. Yeah. I mean, I that's think. like I learned yeah. that in first aid. <laughs> like if you get impaled with something, don't take it off. Call. The, an ambulance, or if you can, go to the hospital yourself. Yeah, get yeah, get wait 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 for a medical professional. Someone to, will take that off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I feel like yeah, like I mean, this whole movie just has a complete disregard for the safety of humanity. Yeah, like when the boot just, camp scenes are just what the fuck. Oh yeah, the fact that they have a live fire like yeah. shooting range and people are jogging laps right next to it. It's like yeah, no, there's and Mr. No Drill way. Sergeant like breaking arms and like slicing hands yeah. and shit. I'm like yeah. I, I yeah I I found that so striking uh probably partially as like a, a portrayal of just like the advances in human medicine that right. it's like oh yeah we can break some arms to teach them no problem how to fight we <laughs> have we have Star Wars type like vats where yeah the machines will yeah a lot of direct <laughs> visual references to Star yeah, Wars I felt is, like in this movie mm-hmm. um which I love uh, I always love that so uh, uh, a fun little detail is that um, almost every single person who's not like one of the young characters mm-hmm. every single older authority figure in the film has scars right. and in many cases 
missing extremities yeah. as well. Um, that's the price. That, that's what I get from this movie is like the, the price of citizenship is that you're either going to die or you're going to live the rest of your life missing an essential part of you in some way. You yeah. Know, like you're either going to have be badly scarred. So you're going to miss, you're not going to be beautiful anymore. Yeah. Or you're going to not have any limbs, you know, like the, the guy at the recruitment station or, uh, or the recruitment office or whatever, yeah. or the, con- the conscription office. Yeah. Um, when he told Rico that the mobile infantry was what made him the man he is today. Yeah. And then, it, and then we find out that not only is he missing, like we think he's only missing a hand, but then he pulls away from the desk and he's missing both legs. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that idea that you have to be proud of who you are, even though this service literally took away, like, a third of his body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely very interesting. Um, And and, and especially that, like, you know, it seems that they they were able to invest the resources in making sure that he had, like, a well-working prosthetic hand uh, to do his desk duties, but apparently didn't see fit to... They don't have prosthetic uh, legs? To to get him, yeah, to to get him a second of legs as well. Um, Yeah. It's crazy. And then we have, like, Rackcheck, who is in a similar situation because he's missing uh, a hand. Yes. And then he gets his legs torn off below the... thigh or in mid thigh i'm pretty sure they didn't i i was like did they like rip him in half but they didn't right it, yeah it, it seemed like it, yeah it seemed like it was kind of cut somewhat below the legs um and, and but he, it was, he chose death rather than to live legless for some yeah reason. that that yeah that's something that yeah that that puzzled me too about that choice given given kind of what we see in right. terms of how people seem to continue to live in the society um uh, yeah, so it did raise some questions in my mind about um, the sort of the ableist angle on yeah. the film as well. Um, uh, and and one of the points that also uh, Paul Verhoeven brought up about um, the you know the presence of scars and and missing limbs in in older authority figures is uh, not only that it's a reflection of the price of you know being a citizen in the mm-hmm. Federation, but also that it speaks to the belligerent history of the Federation itself. Hmm. The fact that it seems that this is just a society that will perpetually keep its citizens engaged in some sort of conflict mm-hmm. in order to, you know, steady its own internal unity. Um, and the war machine is something that I feel like e- even in today's society, you can you can kind of say the same thing, like, you know, that we... We keep the the military industrial complex going for no other reason other than you know it's it's just like such a big part of the economy and so being in conflict is actually good for U.S. dollars. Yeah, well, and like there's even that phenomenon like in military budgeting that mm-hmm. it's like if you if you come in under budget you have to find a way to spend all right. of it because if you come in under budget then they'll they'll cut your budget yep. next round yep. and so it's like nope we got we we got to keep that money coming yep. um so uh yeah it's a wonderful thing <laughs> a really <laughs> wonderful thing <laughs> socialism at work mm-hmm. um so this brings us to our next gsv segment which is Boob tube. So we are talking a bit about the gratuitous uh, sex in this film and the gratuitous nudity in this film. Um, plenty. Paul Verhoeven, no stranger to wanton nudity he, in his films. He loves to put. Here's the thing about Verhoeven, and this is something that we picked up on when we watched Showgirls. Mm. Like he is really good at. Having non-erotic nudity in his movies. 
Yes. Yes. And and uh, yes. And I remember we had a very specific right. conversation about how 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 much on purpose that yeah. was, considering these were like I still don't non, know, n- like the non-erotic sex scenes yeah. that that film had, which which like non-erotic sex scenes are definitely a thing, right? When, like you know, and mm-hmm. and and are important to storytelling, um, but. Uh, but yeah, no, and, and and it's interesting too because I think like um, the big, I think the big scene that's worth discussing because um, in in many ways I think like in talking about this scene like with my friends as a kid, this, me too. It, it's it's it was the big thing that right. everybody was talking about. The shower with the movie scene. is the shower yeah. scene, the the coed, yeah, um, the coed society, and and it's like it's interesting because that scene is clearly you know. A storytelling choice, yeah. like that. Oh, it's yeah. it's trying to show just like you know how you know eradicated quote unquote uh, you know sex discrimination and gender discrimination is in the society mm. and and sort of how how you know how integrated you know they are that like it's like oh yeah men and women shower together mm. and 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 both men and women have all these great opportunities for advancement within the armed forces and stuff mm. like that um and uh, it's interesting that you that, that that's where your mind went with that yeah yeah i mean that's kind of the impression i get that uh, yeah i've always thought of the, that yeah the the idea of uh yeah of like a of like a co-ed you know, situation like that, it was kind of, yeah, it, it sort of feels like it's, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, the, the sort of the, this hitherto unexplored frontier in terms of like, yeah, gender relations mm. is, is kind of how I always took it. Um, and, uh, and, and, and certainly like it goes beyond that in the film as well in terms of just like, you know, how, you know, again, this is a film in 1997, right. so there are far less women in the military in yeah. uh, in 97 than there are now. Right. So, so the armed forces is already you know making slow progress Absolutely. towards towards broader inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think that like yeah, to to have a film about the military and 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 uh, yeah, for them to kind of do that, I think yeah, the 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 shower scene I think definitely tries to signify that, and also obviously it, it is a great character building scene to like yeah. sort of me it works the, that way yeah 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 and to sort of like see uh it's interesting i guess like yeah the the fact that it's like it's when everybody's naked that we're learning about like you know all of their personal reasons mm-hmm. and all of the personal investments that they have in trying to get citizenship um and uh so yeah it's kind of like the one moment that everybody is stripped down and we see people as individuals in the film and all, um, all soldier type movies have a similar scene they usually take place like in a barrack or if they're on a mission like maybe at night before they go to bed or something like you know like yeah. they're always talking about where they come from and all that like you know like saving private ryan has a scene where they're all talking about their backgrounds and stuff like every military movie has that scene where it's like the building camaraderie scene and yeah. it is very interesting that that they chose to do to have that scene in the in the shower. Now I do want to say that for me personally, um, because I because I feel like there is there are instances in the movie where the gender norms um, are are hinted at, like the actual gender norms of the society. Like for example, when Rico is watching Carmen's video and everyone's giving him a hard time for it. And they're, you know, all it's like locker room talk, you know? So I, I personally don't think that the shower scene means that it's erased those, uh, gender roles and all that, because 
and the movie doesn't really give us a lot to work from, but I don't get the feeling that that's the way life works um, outside of the mobile infantry. Like, I don't get a feeling that that Carmen, at, like, she showers with dudes. I don't get the feeling that Carl showers with girls because hmm. they have different career tracks. I don't get the feeling that the civilians back home you know, adhere to a similar convention. Interesting. Yeah. What what I get the feeling from is that this is just a part of the that that dehumanization is like, okay, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're literally just like an infantry person and yeah. you're just fodder. And we're gonna treat you the exact same way because you're you're not here to you know, to be special either one way or the other. We view you guys exactly the same. We're going to get you out there and you're going to die exactly the same. Yeah. So why why should we bother, you know, providing a difference between guys and, and, and yeah. girls if you guys are just going to die the same? That's actually, yeah, that is, that is, that is a, a very... Yeah, that's actually a very sharp observation. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah, the idea that it's like, yeah, we're, we're not, we're not going to give you a space right. or anything like that. You're, we're not going to... Like yeah, y'all, you all share the same space yeah. now. Like this is like um, we don't we don't deserve to give you any respect because you're literally here to serve us. Interesting kind of thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, certainly, they do seem to take it in in good cheer. Um, and uh, the, the 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 aspect of good cheer actually even um, was the case in terms of filming the shower scene mm. as well. Um, so uh, director uh, Paul Ho- Paul Verhoeven and stars Dina Meyer and Casper Van Dien have. Had confirmed mm-hmm. that Verhoeven and cinematographer Jost <laughs> Vacano shot the shower scene uh, in the nude themselves. Wow, nice. Um, so, uh, so what happened? Camaraderie. Was, here we go. Yeah, no. Well, well, here's here's how it went down. Uh-huh. So, so on the day of the shoot, um, uh, before they, you know got to shooting proper, uh, Verhoeven asked the cast to do a fashion show without fashion, technically, <laughs> just as an opportunity for the castmates to, like, get comfortable being in their bodies right. and, and all get that it stuff. Out. Before, you know, mm-hmm. do all that stuff. And uh, so the cast was very reluctant to disrobe, and uh, Verhoeven was asking them what the big deal was, and uh, Dina Meyer uh, rep- responded, Paul, if it's no big deal, why don't you do it? <laughs> and uh, Verhoeven took her up on that bet and got undressed. Um, Vacano, the cinematographer, also volunteered to get undressed as well um, because he had been raised in nudity, in a nudity camp. Oh. So he was actually a person He's who was like, already comfortable with He was nudity. just waiting for the, for the go-ahead. So, yeah, they, yeah, maybe he was like waiting in the wings a little bit for this one. He was like, um, this is why I'm here. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously, uh, the sight of your director and your cinematographer disrobing for mm-hmm. you um, resulted in a lot of laughs yeah. and, and a big shock from the cast. And uh, so uh, it, it it allowed everybody to kind of get it out of their systems, mm-hmm. and uh, so they proceeded thusly for the actual shoot, and it seemed to proceed without incident. Hey, that's actually you know kind of cool. Like you know, it's not it's it, that doesn't strike me as the ty- same type of like you know like when when a, a, an actor needs quote unquote motivation, and then the director's trying to like traumatize him into motivation. Like this is actually like it's more of a hey. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let. I'm not gonna give you this medicine if I can't take it, kind of thing. So yeah, exactly. You I know? Think, yeah, I think like yeah, it strikes me. And again, I don't know so much about like 
you know, what the dynamics were like on set. But, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think, like, for, yeah, for Verhoeven and, and the cinematographer to kind of decide to do that, it's like, yeah, that's, 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 that is, like, an act of camaraderie, right. I think, yeah. to, to kind of be like, yeah, I'll go through this with you all, and if that's, if that's what's going to do to help you all, because it's like, yeah, again, he's the director, and mm-hmm. so there is, like, an inherent power imbalance Absolutely. in terms of, like, Absolutely. being like, hey, guys, y'all got to get naked now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, cool of him to put his money where his mouth was and the nudity in that scene like you know it's 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 also interesting to point out like fair to point out uh, have, especially after having heard that the nudity in that scene again is not necessarily sexualized it's just treated as normal yeah it's just them going mm-hmm. about their day yeah. and you know getting to know each other better um Verhoeven had talked about um you know all of the stuff regarding shooting the shower scene afterwards and uh, so his take was um that he found it strange that America get more upset about nudity than ultraviolence. I am constantly amazed about that. I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in American film that are anything other than completely boring. A bare breast <laughs> is more difficult to get through the censors than a body riddled with bullets. Yeah, it's absolutely true. But it's funny that he said that about, the, about boring, because I feel like... <laughs> He actually shoots pretty boring sex scenes himself. <laughs> well, when it came to Showgirls, he, he shot question marks of sex yeah. scenes because those yeah. things were just but even in this fascinating. One, but even in this one, because like the, the, the most romantic that we ever get is with Dizzy and Rico in the tent later on in the movie. Yeah. And I still feel like, yeah, like yes, it has that cutesy joke about can we do this in 20 minutes? But I, I even think that the foreplay before that is not really that sexy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, a little the, the, the move with the t-shirt. I was like, oh, that's, that's a cute move, I guess. You know, Spider-Man before Spider-Man was cool. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was a pretty tame scene mm-hmm. overall. Um, but, uh, but, you know, good for those two kids. Um, the, the love triangle, um, between Rico, Carmen, and Dizzy, Mm -hmm. um, obviously occupies a a fair amount of... Would it be fair to say that it's a quadrangle, though? Because there's the, uh, the other guy. Oh, Xander. Xander. Yeah, that is actually a good point. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess maybe it is more of a, a a quadrangle. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so yeah, how, how, how did you feel kind of, you know, about the the whole continuum because we we talked a little bit about right. you know Rico's treatment of Dizzy right. and, and and uh so And then so, you have Carmen's treatment of Rico. Like yeah. I really feel like there's a lot of like disrespect in in the way that they went about their relationship because it you know and 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 and, and like I said like Rico is not faultless in all this but there's a fair amount of like leading each other on like yeah it's very obvious that she wasn't comfortable saying I love you and yet Rico kind of coerces her to do it and then you know, she says it, like I mentioned, we're watching it through clenched teeth, you know, it almost yeah. like seemed painful for her to say it because she doesn't believe it. Yeah. And then we kind of mirror that later on because Dizzy is very quick to say, I love you to Rico. And then you can kind of get the flash on his, on his face that he's not quite ready to go there with yeah. her. Um, and so it, it feels, I feel like, you know, how much of the, cause, cause again, he shafts Dizzy the whole time. And then finally, when Rakshak is like, don't pass a good thing up, he is like, okay, so let's let's pursue this. But it's like, you know, how much of that is really earnestly you? Because just a second ago, you couldn't give her the time of day, and then all of a sudden... You guys are, 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 you know, fucking in a tent. Like, what, you know, how much yeah. of that is you leading her on? Yeah, that, like, that's a thing. Uh, yeah, and 
Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that, like, mm-hmm. 100%. Like, that that really kind of tears me up about the whole dynamic in the film, um, that, like, it's, it's like, Rico... And again, because it's, like, Ratchek has this, like, greater point that he's making right. in that moment about, like, you know appreciating yeah. what's in front of you yeah. which is like a point well taken right. and certainly considering that like just beyond Dizzy's own personal um interest in Rico she also proves to be a constant friend to him Absolutely. throughout the movie in fact um, like she's his best friend i would say in the movie like yeah. she's like always there I mean, we got Jake Busey, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, they they kind of buddy up a little bit. Um, But but, she's, like, there from the beginning, even even in the high school, you know? Yeah, and and interestingly enough, Dizzy is, like, the one who is excluded from the little trio of friendship that form between Carmen, Carl, and Rico. So they're Um, shafting her from the very beginning. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think Dizzy definitely gets very much shafted. Because I'm definitely Team Flores, I would say. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, yeah, Dizzy all along definitely is, I think, like, yeah, just the most capable person. She should have made squad leader before Rico did, honestly. Um, Especially considering Rico becomes squad leader through her assist. Um, It was her idea. It was her leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so much for the argument about gender equality, considering Rico right. no, seems that, to float yeah, to the top through no, his, There's through no his gender privilege. equality in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I also kind of feel it's lame going back to Carmen, like the way that she breaks up with him. Like, that's another, like, element there where it's like, you well, she obviously doesn't respect him enough to to break up with him in a better way, I feel like. Yeah. like she, she's got to know... Like there's, I mean, surely there's like a more private method of communicating in this world. And she's got to know that if she sends the guy a video that he's going to watch it in front of like all of his friends because she, she saw the video that he sent her in the barracks. So she can't be like, you know, that naive about it. So there's, it's almost like there's a little bit of cruelty there and there's a little bit of cruelty and the way that she deals with him later on too, when when her when her and Xander and him cross paths, um, like just the way that she, I don't know, she kind of like exerts her authority over him a little bit, like you know, you know, I'm an officer and you're a runt, and uh, and I did this because this is obviously like what's best for us. And Rico even points that out when Xander comes into the picture. He's like, he's like, oh, I didn't. Is this what's best for us? Yeah. So I, I feel like there's just like a lot of like cruelty and disrespect from all of the main, you know, yeah. relationships. And 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 also like power imbalance because uh, like yeah. even 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 though we don't see much about what's going on between Carmen and Xander, yeah. um like what little we do see suggests that imbalance very strongly yeah. about how like he shows up as her training instructor right. and is like, Oh yeah, I heard about you yeah. and made sure to get myself transferred. Right. Like that's, that's well, maybe, creepy. Maybe, maybe they were jumping ahead <laughs> a little too early. Um, uh, so, uh, some interesting, uh, facts about the love triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, test audience reactions, led to several minor changes before the mm. film was released. Originally, it was clear that Carmen was torn between Rico and Xander. Hmm. Test audiences, regardless of gender, strongly felt that a woman could not love two men at once. <sighs> so scenes which portrayed Yuck. this were cut. Yuck. Oh, the, the, you 
we're not even there yet. This, 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 this. Come on, nineties. I, I, I copied this from Wikipedia. Full disclosure. Uh-huh. Um, but, but, like, yeah. When I first read this while I was researching, it like made my blood boil. Um, so, uh, anyways, going on. Um, uh, these audiences also felt it was immoral for Carmen to choose a career ahead of being loyal to Rico, Ew. to the extent that many commented that, in so doing, Carmen should have been the one to die instead of Dizzy. That I agree with, but not for those same reasons. <laughs> same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I didn't want Izzy to die, and I don't know necessarily that I feel Carmen deserved death. I mean, I don't. There's the there's right. whole question about who I would, deserves. I would have rather had her die. Yeah. Than, well, and, and and that's always an interesting conversation about who deserves death in a narrative sense, right? Because like I think that is a thing, like sort of narratively for the arc of the story, it makes who deserves sense. to die. Yes. Um. So so that is an interesting conversation to have. But yeah, the fact that they specifically said that for those reasons drove me and um, i feel like that's why you keep them again if your purpose as paul verhoeven the director (laughs) is to satirize this story then why would you follow the uh, why would you you know like you keep those elements because that actually (laughs) is in line with the theme that you're trying to present like yes she has to be broken up and yes she's pursuing the career but both of those things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. I feel and like that would have rounded out her character a little more, made her more likable if she really was broken up, be- up between the two. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I have to say that, like, between previous screenings and this one, like, I, I was, I, I felt pretty strongly negatively towards Carmen as a whole. I think this time around, I actually grew to like her character hmm. a lot more because of her seriousness about her career. Like, I actually think that she, I actually, like, I actually kind of appreciated that. That aspect is great. We can't fault it. We can't fault her for choosing career over relationships. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's, that's just more about like my change in in how I viewed the character between like, you know, however long ago I saw the movie in this time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, yeah, those test audiences, man. But the fact of the matter is that, all of the characters in this movie, not just Carmen, they all choose paths that they believe are best for them. Yeah. So it's not fair to to punish her or to dislike her for doing what the other characters are doing. Yeah. Because even like Dizzy does, like Dizzy chose to change the, her training facility because she heard, like, obviously part of it was to be near Rico, I think. But she, her reasoning is that she heard that this training facility, that this boot camp was the best. Yeah. So even, like, her, like, that's, that's a career choice. Yeah. You know, she's choosing to do what's best for her. Yeah. You know, my, my, my problem with Carmen is, like, more like how she deals with her personal relationships and how some things, you know, could be held, could be dealt with a little more tactful. Yeah. But as far as like her choosing a career path, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's one of the positive things about her character for sure <laughs> is that she's very strongly adamantly in that. And I think part of it also, and we can talk about the, we have talked a little bit, not, not on, not on the, on air, but we were talking about the quality of the acting of all the young actors in this movie yeah um and how it kind of works for the film even though they're not the best and that i think is the most is the most egregious example of that though is carmen again because 
Denise Richards is just not a good actress at all. Generally, I haven't been I haven't been that impressed with her acting, uh, like career wise. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, I yeah. Again, I think kind of like knowing what I you know, kind of like yeah, having those newer realizations about like the way she you know the way her character pursues the career and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I I actually found this to be a, a pretty decent performance of hers overall. And again, I think like she you know she through the virtue of both casting and and just her own choices fits fairly well within the aesthetic that Verhoeven's yeah. trying to accomplish oh, yeah. with it. And so the Hitler so, Youth aesthetic. Yeah, that that, <laughs> Hitler, that good old Hitler Youth aesthetic. Um so uh as, and 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 I guess that that is as as opportune a time as any right. for us to uh proceed to our final GSV segment, which is uh, that's problematic. problematic. Um Yup. Yup. The whole I mean the whole aesthetic and again it's like it's it is in service of satire yeah but it's whitewashing because all the characters in in all of our main characters have latinx coded names they all have latinx last names they come from buenos aires argentina yes and yet they're pretty much white bread american or Hitler Youth Aryan, whatever you want to talk about it. I mean, and and certainly, I think Casper uh, Van Dien's character is is very much the 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 epitome of that in terms of those casting right. choices with his like fair hair, very yeah. white skin, high cheekbones, yeah. like that whole thing. Like he, it, you know, he's he's got that like Germanic look, like in spades. And, and again, and, again, that's part of the stylistic choice that Verhoeven makes yeah. to kind of like put that veil of satire on yeah it's like this is what the point that i'm driving home using this source material yeah but again i feel like if you had tried to give us a more earnest story where maybe these characters were more you know coded like latinx like they were supposed to be yeah um that to me would have driven the point home of this fascist society being evil yeah. more or, or or at least even explaining why it is that like you know apparently all wasps live in right. Buenos Aires yeah. now including like Rico's parents mm-hmm. um and, and actually just to go even further with how much whitewashing took place mm-hmm. because um you know many of these character names carry over from the books right um but uh rico's character originally in the book was actually uh filipino there um, you go so 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 yeah. yeah even even in the process of of like translating the character over like the fact that he had the same name and mm-hmm. it's his his coming of age story right um and yet uh and and yet uh he does get whitewashed for the purposes of this film and again all of that is in service of of the of the of trying to evoke the the imagery of right. of fascist propaganda um, historically, and and I think that that actually works against the success of the movie. Mm-hmm. If if Rico had been a Filipino character, um, I feel like the story would have and and you know taken taken out some more of that you know satire and just made it an earnest story about this kid's journey. It really would have driven that point home about how how evil this society is and how fascism is not a route that we would want to take as a society. Yeah. I think that that would have been much more successful because again, as it is like a, you, you leave the movie on a kind of a high, 
being like, yeah, you kicked those bugs ass. You caught yeah. the you cut the brain bug. Like people died, but the sacrifice was worth it, you know? Yeah. And it makes you kind of like be like, well, that's actually not a good take from this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh and and it's interesting actually too because like so in in the original book, um at like kind of the start of the story, um, the humans are actually already engaged in a war with another alien mm. species prior to the war breaking out between mm. them and the Arachnids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I forget what the specific name of the alien species is in the book, but the soldiers all refer to the alien species as the skinnies because mm. the aliens are like... Um, are, are just kind of upright humanoid okay. aliens of some sort. Um, so so all the soldiers call them skinnies. Uh, they call all the arachnids bugs. Mm-hmm. So right there, that kind of linguistic choice right. is evocative of that same sort of uh, reductive language. That Jabs, is kind recipes. Of in- yeah. Um, and, well, and actually, skinnies is a particularly chilling one because um, uh, now I, I don't know how accurate this is, but it... It, when I read that, it reminded me of the film Black Hawk Down, mm. where all of the U.S. soldiers on the base used the term skinnies to refer to the locals in Mogadishu. Right. Um, and and so reading that and making that connection yeah. made it even more chilling. Right. Like, I mean, because, I mean, already that term was, was like chilling on its own yeah. just like in terms of how they're referring to people in this starving african country um the yeah. fact that they're just calling everybody skinny right. i was like that's already really gross and again it's a pretty jingoistic film anyway yeah. so like that was already very chilling the coding and of then, the other and, is and then and then, and then the fact trope. that it, that term may in fact be borrowed from this book because um the original starship troopers book is actually on the required reading list for the u.s marines um, and possibly, I think, a few other branches of the military mm-hmm. as well. So, like, the book absolutely, like, is, like, a pay-on to, like, a... Uh, sorry, I don't know if that's the right word. But it is very much, like, an ode and a philosophical, right. like, argument for the 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 benefits of a, like, absolutely. authoritarian militaristic society. Absolutely. And for all of the benefits of it. And, and uh, you know, again, like Rico in that book goes from being an undisciplined youth whom society has failed mm-hmm. by being such a lazy person who contributes nothing. He gets beaten into becoming a, a useful member of society. Mm-hmm. And that's the way things should be. Um, were there uh, any other things in the film that uh, struck you as questionable? Well, there was one thing. This, this is not really problematic, but it, but it kind of like one of the things that I've recently done in my life is is watch um, the entire um, revival of Battlestar Galactica, right? And mm-hmm. there were kind of like a lot of like similarities that kind of struck me also about how that society is structured and how this society is structured and how they deal with, you know, the, uh, the Cylons versus how they deal with the bugs, you know, how they call them, you know, the, even the way toasters, the toasters and yeah. stuff like that. But one of the things that, that kind of caught my eye in, in this society is how they address um, the female superior officers as ma'am. Like, they still they still like very clearly have those gender roles um 
in, in the society, whereas like in the in a Battlestar Galactica, even if you're a female, you're referred to as sir. Yeah. You know, like, again, giving everyone an equal playing field, an equal authority, equal respect. Yeah. And um, and Battlestar Galactica is not the only one that does that. There's I, I the name escapes me, but there was like another sci-fi movie that does the same thing like in the future everyone's referred to as sir because why do we have a differentiation there shouldn't be a differentiation but um but in this movie i I did feel like that kind of like was another reason why i feel like the shower scene doesn't really mean that there's equity gender equity i do feel like there's there's a difference between how they they treat women in this society um even even like the how casual um rec check when she's when he's like who's in there with you and it's Flores and he's like, okay, make it 20 minutes. I mean, the, the guy just got a distress signal, you know? And I even turned to you and I'm like, when you have a distress signal, you have to go. There's no like, give you 20 minutes, but oh, you're having fun with a lady, have a, have a, some extra time. It's almost like, you know, it, those lives aren't worth more than your gratification in this moment. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, because I think, like, Ratchek's character, I think, kind of within the context of, you know, this this propaganda story that mm-hmm. we're telling, Ratchek is a do-no-wrong figure. He right. is the one who is always saying the right thing yeah. in terms of the values of He's the society. And um, so so he is meant... To, like, like, he is almost an embodiment of... Uh, the state I feel in a yeah. way uh, in terms of the fact that he is there educating them in the beginning right. talking about the fall of democracy and stuff like yeah. that and and that he he demands a lot of you but then also he is the one who's bringing out the beer and the yeah. games afterwards right. as well so it's like serve reward. me well mm-hmm. and I will reward you yeah. so and that moment is like and, Flores and, was the reward in that moment that's that is interesting. I mm-hmm. I'm not sure I saw it that way. I I almost saw it more as like uh oh you you kids like mm-hmm. you kids have fun. Um but 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 I'm not sure that that maybe still isn't present, especially considering like he was the one who spurred Rico to go ahead and pursue it. Right. So that's that's a good question. Um Yeah, I just I just think like this yeah. this society like definitely I mean even the way that it treats the female characters as opposed to like the male characters and that that again has is more to do with with Paul Verhoeven <laughs> rather than the story proper. But I I do feel like there's there's not there's just like not that great deal of like respect and agency given to the female characters as opposed to um to Rico and I know that it's his story, but even like even Carl, I think, like, he, he has a little more um, agency than Carmen does. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just felt like, I really, like, when you told me that thing about how test audiences reacted negatively to her being torn up, and I know that, that her being torn up about two guys completely fails the Bechdel test, but here's the thing about the Bechdel test. Even though I am I'm a proponent of the Bechdel test, it, it isn't always the most, it doesn't give you the best story all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the- well, well, I, 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 I forget where it was. I saw it, um, and so my apologies to the person who, who I'm sure put it. Foundation more. is the word I was looking for. It's not oh, the best oh, yeah. story. Foundation. <laughs> well, uh, well, I think the the thing uh, somebody I remembered seeing online made this comment mm-hmm. um, that uh, that the thing about the Bechdel test is that. Um, <laughs> to 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 kind of to kind of rattle off examples of films that quote unquote fail the Bechdel test, but mm-hmm. maybe are still feminist right. films. Like it, it's 
is is like missing the point of the Bechdel Absolutely. test because because it's it's not meant to be an exhaustive meter of how feminist a film is. Right. It's simply meant to be a way to check your own assumptions yeah. about what it means for a character to have agency. Like even and, the and even so the person it's, it's, who coined the the phrase, like even she had a, a problem with with applying it to every movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's like it, it's 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 meant it's it's a thought experiment. Yeah. Exactly. Is, is what it is. It's meant to be a way for you to just kind of check in with yourself about about assuming uh, about your own assumptions about, about how characters stories should be told like i feel like a better way to to apply the bechdel test is like within is 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 between within scenes themselves rather than the work large proper yeah um like you know even because even if a movie quote-unquote fails the bechdel test there might be many scenes that actually do pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. And that is where it's like, you know, as long as you have your character be well-rounded and third-dimensional so that it's not always about a conversation about a dude, yeah. you know, then, you know, you're giving them that sort of agency that you're looking for. But in terms with Carmen, I actually feel like giving her that push and pull would have rounded her character out a little more. And I do feel like cutting it out kind of makes her kind of two-dimensional yeah in the end at the end of the day i mean yeah i i think i think yeah i i i i definitely took massive issue with like the moralistic like the moralistic stance of the test audiences in regards to that um i think i think like as far as how much you want to feature it or not feature it that's that that definitely i think can be more up to personal taste because because also like you know Again, there's there's something to be said for a character who kind of, you know, realizes that their career is what they want to do and they they make the choices that right. that maybe that maybe are are still hurtful to other people and maybe can be seen as a but bit she, self-serving. But, but she did not. make two choices. Yeah. <laughs> like the career choice that's that's another thing of the aspect with again going back to the personal respect of her relationships that I have an issue with, and this is again character wise not filmmaking wise yeah. jumping back and forth here <laughs> no, no um, so you know the way that she deals with Rico as a character, I find disrespectful because it's the choice wasn't between career and relationship, obviously because she had made two choices she chose her career and she chose Xander, yeah, so obviously she's not against having a relationship. So that's why I feel like, you know, that aspect was underserved, her relationship aspect. The career aspect, I'm all for and I love it. Like, yes, girl, choose your career, you know? <laughs> but the other aspect I felt like was like, yeah, you know, you kind of you kind of painted her as um and uh, not an antagonist, but you kind of painted her as like a black widow type of character there. Like she's like just like viciously going through her relationships in 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 pursuit of a career when really she didn't she yeah. actually did choose a relationship it just wasn't one with rico yeah yeah that's true and again it's like with the power imbalance that's present in yeah. that relationship it's like yeah it's there's it's so much yeah <laughs> that's problematic too <laughs> yeah i agree i agree yeah xander coming in like that and it's again especially because like i think you know rico's beef with him you know, Rico has a a pretty toxic masculine yeah. beef with the guy. Yeah. Um, that's way not cool. And kind of motivates but, Xander but, a little bit too, I think. And and and, and competition. Then, and and yeah, I that's yeah, that's definitely one hundred percent my read on mm-hmm. Xander's motivations yeah. throughout the thing. He seems to pretty much only want to kind of pursue Carmen to stick it to Rico right. a little bit. Yep. And we we get less of that when he first reappears in her life again. But like, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they fight over. They they don't fight over her, but that's the first thing they do when they when they cross paths again. Yeah. Is fight. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Actually, fun fact about that punch scene. Um, apparently, uh, that first punch of Rico's at Xander was full contact. Oh, shit. And uh, the actor who played Xander did say in an interview that Casper uh, Van Dien uh, hits hard. Oh, wow. So Was that like... I wonder if like did it get away from him or I'm, yeah I'm not sure I, I I wasn't able to find any more clarity on that point hmm. but um but yeah that's that's you know because he, 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 he had a red lip after that after that hit for yeah sure. um so uh that uh brings us to the end of our discussion uh regarding Starship Troopers um, Orlando, what are your final thoughts? Was it a bad movie? Was it a so-so movie? Was it a good movie? Was it a great movie? What are you, where, where do you land? I'm gonna say that this was a good movie. Bordering on so-so. Okay. Um. A little verging there. A little, little verging. It's not, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being. Okay. I, I remembered it, I remembered enjoying myself a little more before, but again, I hadn't seen this movie since college, and I feel like back then, it was, I was watching the movie for a different reason. I was watching it for the violence, and for the sex, for the titillation, and you know, I wasn't watching it to dissect the actual themes and message behind it. And now when I'm watching it with a critical eye, I actually get what a lot of those critics were saying. Like, um, you know, it is kind of like a lurid spectacle, but as far as the satire itself, which is the important aspect of it, was that successful? And I can't really say that it was. Like, I, I kind of feel the same way that I did when I watched Showgirls. I'm like, there is a good movie. There's probably a great movie somewhere in here. But the same issue with Showgirls, like, I felt like if he had been earnest with Showgirls, it would have been a better movie. And I feel like if he had been earnest with this, it would have been a better movie. And maybe it's to kind of deal where maybe Verhoeven, really early on, he had success with Robocop and, and Total Recall. Robocop is a masterpiece, I think. Like, that's a great fucking, that's his best movie. And Total Recall does have its issues, but it's still a, overall a pretty successful movie. And maybe he got it into his mind that, you know, that's who I am, that's what I want to do. And so he pursued, like, this satire, like, an interest in satire and satirizing everything. But not every, not every material deserves satirization, you know? Like, it, sometimes it's enough to present a point of view and let the audience decide whether or not that is a positive or negative. And I feel like, you know, if you if you had just presented this movie earnestly as a space adventure with these conventions, I, I might have been more successful in, in at the end of the day being like, yeah, that 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 society is not one that I want our society to go, you know, that path that it wants to follow. Hmm. So, yeah, so that was a long explanation, but good verging on so so. I hear that. I hear that. Um, I think for me, like. Eh, Knowing full well that I think nostalgia is probably still playing a role, mm -hmm. um, I think it's great. I <laughs> I love this movie. Mm -hmm. I adore it. I am fully aware that nostalgia is probably playing a bit of a role in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just find it to be an incredibly fun movie. Um, and 
And I really just, I think that it, it maybe is a bit of a trap to say that it is just because it is satirical that it's it's a work of brilliance. Right. Um, certainly, I'm not sure that I, I would go that far, mm-hmm. but I really do kind of appreciate the way the film um, really delivers this, like, cathartic, fun romp of a sci-fi creature feature that's just, you know, very bloody, very gratuitous. Very gratuitous, um, yeah. and, and And just has that kind of fun, kitschy sense to it. Um, but, but at the same time, even though it is kind of sweeping you up in the propaganda that the film is um, allegedly arguing against, mm-hmm. um, I think works in its favor as, as something pretty informative about the way propaganda works and the way narrative can work and mm-hmm. the way narrative can serve an agenda yeah. um, if, if, you, if you don't look a little more closely. And I think like it, 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 it was very ahead of its time in terms of the FedNet stuff. I yeah. think like all that stuff um, just really does exist very much so today in terms of how information is fed to us and right. how, how we, you know, there, there are so many more unreliable narrator, narrators these yeah. days, um, and uh, and and a lot of people, I think, are are falling victim to those unreliable. Yeah, absolutely. Narratives. And, and I, I mean, if if that's if that alone is the purpose of the movie, then yeah, there there is some on, on some level it is successful because you really do come out of the movie. I think, you know, feeling something that maybe is against the. The intent, yeah, and maybe that is the actual intent. Maybe yeah. Verhoeven is like, I'm going to make a movie that's going to be colorful and poppy, and it's going to have a lot of blood and gratuitous nudity, and you're going to get out of that movie, and you're going to feel amazing, and you're going to feel like you're going to, you want to go to another planet and kill some bug ass, and that's my point. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so if that is what his intent is, yeah. then well done, you you absolutely did it. But if but if your intent was to give me a more nuanced satire on what the cost of this society is. That's where I feel the movie falls short. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that, definitely. Um, that's all I got for today. Um, and this was a super fun episode to host. Yeah, thank you um, for hosting. the. Like, yeah, yeah, this is your second time doing it. I think you did fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate and that. And I hope that you uh, join me, you know, at another movie schlock adventure. I sometime think I probably soon. will. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Most likely. Um, <laughs> until then, you know... This isn't a choice between citizenship and civilianship in this, you know, you know, the only choice is very simple. You either can or cannot go and watch some movies. I I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Gratuitous sex and violence. Just. I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just.